0: Welcome to Developing Leadership, the podcast where I, Isaac Kent, and my co-host Jason Warner share our thoughts and lessons learned on engineering leadership through the years. Today we welcome Jonathan Nolan, Senior VP of Engineering and Product at LaunchDarkly, the scalable feature flag and toggle management tool for modern enterprises. Jonathan joins us to talk about his 100 plus people product delivery team, a term coined by the company where engineering product and design come together. We spoke about what this three function team means for engineering organizations and how you can build a culture of shared responsibility throughout this structure. We also shared our advice as engineering leaders on building the capabilities and measuring the impact of this integrated function. Today, I want to give a special shout out to Ben Ice Best for leaving a review on Apple podcast titled Jason Warner MVP. We really appreciate it. So if you enjoy the episode, leave a review on Apple podcast or Spotify and share it with another engineering leader. As always, this episode comes with accompanying show notes featuring our favorite moments from the chat and a deep dive into today's topics. Find them at developingleadership.co or linked in the description. Developing leadership. Hi, everyone. We're back again with another episode of Developing Leadership. Jason and I have a special guest with us today, Jonathan Nolan, who is currently the SVP of Engineering and Product at Launch Darkly, one of my personal favorite companies, which is why I'm excited to have you on board, Jonathan. You were at Alaskan for about 12 years, and then you joined Launch Darkly when, when the engineering work was less than 10 people. Tell us a little bit about yourself and and what made you decide to make that shift.
1: Sure thing. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me. It's it's great to be here with you today. I've really sort of chosen my career path based on the products that I have loved, that I have seen be successful, and that have really spoken to me and the teams that I've been a part of. So, way back in two thousand and two, I was part of a small team building a website, rebuilding a website, in fact, and. We were all really dissatisfied with the tools that we had to work with. And I managed to discover Jira at some point. And I found it over the weekend. I bought it on my credit card. I installed it under a desk and came, we came in on Monday morning and started using it. Within months, it had taken over the entire company that I was at. And every development team was now using Jira and, and was vastly more efficient for it. About 6 or 12 months later, we did the same thing with Confluence. We bought it. We had it. We were using it in our, in our small team of about 10. And within months the entire company had transformed around this tool and, and I knew that there was something amazing there. And so I got in touch with Atlassian and found an opportunity and joined Atlassian in 2005 when they were less than 30 people. And I was there, as you said, over 12 years and pursued a whole bunch of different roles in both engineering and product over that time, but it was all about trying to make sure that every team was able to experience that same transformation of collaboration that we had seen you know back on my team. Around 2014 or 2015, My team at Atlassian, obviously, you know, a very small part of Atlassian at that point, but we were working on a new product and we realized that we needed a feature flagging solution. It wasn't even called feature management at that point, but feature flagging solution. And we knew about LaunchDarkly because it had been founded by former Atlassian and we started using it. And it was transformative for the team that we were on. It allowed us to move at a pace and with a level of risk that was just unheard of in the rest of the company and, frankly, in my whole career. And within a matter of months, it spread to every other team inside Atlassian. And I saw that transformation. And it's one of those things that once you've experienced it, you would, you would never go back to trying to build any software product without feature providing. And uh, recognizing the opportunity there, I thought Atlassian had grown a lot by that point. And I was thinking already about, well, it might be fun to go do something smaller again. And launch I thought, it was just such a a fundamental and important tool that every development team worth their salt is gonna need over the next 10 years. And fortunately I had an opportunity to join them at a really early stage. I'm about four years into that journey right now. And we are we're just scratching the surface on that mission. But in the same way that we think every team or that last thing we thought every team could benefit from improved cooperation, I'm convinced that every team can benefit from feature management and we going to, we're gonna we're gonna get that tool into everybody's hands over the coming decade.
0: That's fantastic. Tell us a little bit about the size of of your product engineering org today, and what does it look like? So people listening can, can use that as context for our conversation.
1: Sure. So the company overall is, uh, I think we've just passed 400 people. The product delivery organization, which is sort of my area, um, and that is a combination of engineering, product, and design, we're about 125 people.
0: You just used the word that I instantly fell in love with, but I haven't heard anybody use in a long time, is product delivery organization. You're not calling it product engineering, not engineering and product and design. Talk to me a little bit about the philosophy of US SVP, of product delivery org, and, and why is it called that way? And, and what does that actually mean in practice?
1: Sure, so admittedly it was, it was sort of a, a term that I think we made up. I'm not sure that I've heard it elsewhere either. But we wanted to make sure that we were giving equal weight and importance to the three aspects of the triad. And I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about that concept a little bit more later. But product engineering and design, we, didn't want to, we did not want to privilege anyone over the other two. And we wanted to make sure everybody had an equal voice, and equal seat at the table. And so we were trying to find a, a term that can encompass all, encompass all that. And then we also wanted to focus people on what we were really doing, which was delivering a service. Many, many teams over the last 10 years have, have gone through this transition. Um, we certainly went through it at Atlassian in shifting our mindset from building software and even shipping software to delivering a service. And One Sharkway, of course, was a you know a SaaS company from the very beginning. We have always been about delivering a service. And there's a whole new class of behaviors and tactics and tools and techniques that you need to do that well that I didn't have to worry about 15 years ago. Feature management being a prime example, but trying to orient the team and, and, and realize that our job here is not to write software; it is to deliver software in production to customers so they get value out of it. And so that's sort of, I guess, why why the word delivery is, is in is in our organization name.
0: I love that, Jason. You yourself as well found yourself responsible for engineering, product, and design, and, and a couple other functions as well over at GitHub. What was the the response at a company? much larger in size where, where you made that decision and how did that change over the years? Sure.
2: Yeah, so at GitHub, when I joined, I had product engineering, design, and a host of other functions as well. And it was a little bit of a, let's just say, a, a conversation when I was going into the interview process saying, hey, I want I to have product as well. And there are some GitHub-specific reasons for that, but also just in general where I thought you had to take the product, it needed one voice, one voice at the top, one voice to, to push, one voice to have accountability and expectations. And I thought it was incredibly important. And we kept that model you know, for two years up to acquisition. And then post-acquisition, I still ran product engineering design for a little while. And then eventually, we split off the functions into we brought in a product leader, we elevated a design leader. And then I kept engineering. And then eventually towards the end of my tenure, I moved off of engineering as well. And then we brought in a new engineering leader. We called that EPD, as most people do, engineering product and design. And eventually all three of those reported up to the CEO. So that was kind of the evolution of that. In retrospect, in my opinion, it was a mistake to break up the EPD from one person who was not the CEO into the CEO. And it's not, this is not a conversation about me. I think it has to do more with what the the organization's expectations are and who they feel accountable to. And I thought that that would have been a mistake to do that that way. And I think in
0: retrospect, in some ways, it turned out to be that case from an operations perspective. I'm going to switch back forth between both of you right now with a question that I can imagine is on quite a few people's minds, which is GitHub launched darkly. The engineer is also the user. So having EDP be be one cohesive unit, and I really like the term product delivery team as one, is that uniquely possible or uniquely preferred because you're building a product where engineering is the user as well? Uh, Or is this something, Jonathan, that you imagine every engineering uh, or every company in the world should be following? And if so, why or why not?
1: I actually think these are sort of orthogonal concerns. Uh, So first of all, it is certainly true that we benefit from being developers building a developer tool, actually using the tool that we work on every day. That's a huge advantage for us. It is a it's a shortcut in a lot of ways, and I experienced the same thing at Atlassian, and I can imagine GitHub had a similar experience. So I don't want to discount that advantage, but I think that that advantage is not. It's really quite separate from the choice of how do we want to structure the responsibility between engineering, product, and design. And I think, frankly, any company would benefit from that organization. You know, I really uh, appreciate what Jason had to say and the the thought process he, he went through to do the same thing at GitHub. Because honestly, those three functions cannot accomplish anything on their own. They have to work together. They can only be successful together. And so by putting them on the same team in the same reporting line with the same goals and the same sort of executive sponsorship, I think it can circumvent a lot of acrimony or finger pointing or, you know, it, it aligns everybody and points in the same direction towards the same goal. And so I think, you know, even if I were to go start another company in a totally different space, I would do the same thing.
2: Wow. This could be a long topic. So <laughs> I, I feel a couple of things on this. One, if you asked someone who came up through the engineering ranks, this question, you'll get the answer that they should be the same organization to the same person. But if you ask someone who came up through the product design, you're likely to get a different answer. And the reason why is that what Jonathan just said is that at the end of the day, engineering, they all need to work together. But at the end of the line is engineering and a lot of the delivery of these things, and they feel the pain the most. And so when you look at how to fix this, you say, hey, we actually need to be one cohesive organization and unit. But everyone upstream from that pain says, why? It's working for us. But were you not delivering? Well, that's your problem. But the engineering person understands where the pain is. It's kind of the same thing as you don't go ask the application engineering team how to make the system more stable. You talk to the infrastructure team because they're the last in the line about what's, where the stability is coming from and the issues. And then you talk, once you know what those issues are, to the application engineering team about changes that might need to be made in that. And let me flip it around another way too. I do think in at least GitHub specific case, it was only possible because it was a developer-oriented product. I doubt you're going to make these these decisions with an engineering-oriented leader, like myself at an Uber, as an example. But it is rather common these days for a CPO title to have engineering and product and design together. But it's not very common for a CTO title to have them at the moment. And again, I think those things will change over time. But, you know, I think the way that organizations currently think about these things is still dated. And it has to do with experiences they have as they grow and where the market is. But also just point blank, you know, you know, my feeling on this I so we've said this many times, leaders in general in the industry are few and far between like true, actual, real leaders, not mechanics, not people who just run a function, but leaders. So it's hard to find someone who's capable of
0: running all of those functions at once. So at this point, I'm going to try to put you on the spot a little bit here, Jonathan. Given what Jason just said, right, true leaders are, are far and few between to have the capabilities of really running this, this integrated function. What do you believe has uniquely positioned you to be successful at running this function? And what are some of the things that you would pass on to somebody who aspires to be that leader who, who really brings engineering product and design together?
1: That that is a fantastic question. So I mean I'll I'll start by saying that as as a leader and, and actually sort of throughout my career, I have always been sort of broad rather than deep. And so I have I've had uh experiences in and learned about and um have opinions about product and engineering and design, but most of all I've had opinions about what we need to do for the product and the customer and how you know what are, what are the what are the resources we need to line up to make to make that thing happen? Having some some vision and some opinion across all three of those functions is has been helpful to me. And then also, and then the flip side of that is recognizing the place where I need depth and the places where I need help and the places where I need to fill in my gaps and finding really great great people who can do all those things. I worked with the the, the head of I mean I, I guess he's the chief design officer now at, at Atlassian. A guy named Jurgen, and he uh, introduced me to this concept, which is not novel to him, but but of a, of a T shaped person. And so we, I think, look for that also in our leadership ranks and trying to find people who are very good at one thing, but also have some vision and some opinion about the things adjacent to them. And so if you are if you were going to be a really successful engineering leader at WatchDarkly, you have to have some product opinions. You have to have some sense of how you you want the product to work and how what do you think it could do. And be able to discuss and debate those things intelligently with all the people around you and just bring some opinions to bear. And in, in the same way, if you are a, a product manager at One Shark you have to have strong opinions about how things should work, but you have to have enough depth in how engineering teams function and how they plan and, and how they prioritize to be able to, to be an equal part of that conversation with your engineering counterpart. And so uh, we really look for people who have that kind of breadth. And if you sort of get enough overlapping teaching people You can build a really amazing team.
2: I couldn't endorse that enough. I think I'm going to, what I'm going to say here is that it's unique in some ways, but the T-shaped people are incredibly important. But when you look back, or particularly when I look back, and I think it was possible because I was not exclusively an engineering leader, I had broad applicability. I had, I wanted to know what the customers were doing. It was different than what we might classically, the industry might classically define as an engineering VP or an engineering leader. And in fact, when people outside of the sphere talk to people who I think have done these disciplines, and I look more like a CPO maybe, but even more like a CEO, because you think about the business first, or you think about the, the products and the customers in a certain way. And in fact, you know, up until GitHub, I was held back in some ways because I had depth, but I had way more breadth as well than what people would classically look for in an engineering director or an engineering VP at the time, which I think is changing, but it was interesting how it held me back to some degree at certain times too. Because then they would say, hey, you should go work in marketing or sales or product or any of those other, but why are you in engineering doing that? But I think that's the, the challenge is that engineering needs that too. Engineering needs T-shaped people. They need differently T-shaped people as EPD or product delivery. They need
0: T-shaped people that overlap with each other. Well said. Couldn't agree more. And And so Jonathan... Very practically, for somebody who this idea is resonating with, right, the notion of product delivery, T-shaped people, talk to us a little bit about how that's translated into how your organization looks like, who is at what level, how are you running meetings? Can we imagine, you know, cross-functional all the way down to, to the team level? Or how, how is this currently structured?
1: Sure. I'll answer this and I think, the, the, the two most important things that we have done. The first is structural. We have borrowed from Atlassian and I'm sure a lot of other places as well the concept of the triad. Different people call it different things in different organizations. I've heard Triumph for it at some point, which I, which I love as a Roman mm-hmm. history nerd. But ideally, at every level of the organization, we have a product leader, an engineering leader, and a designer. So, starting at the, at the squad, that's our unit of scale. It's usually six to eight engineers. And then and there are those three people responsible for that squad, for their goals, for the roadmap, for their impact. For every decision that gets made, and then all the way up the chain, we try we try to build those triad uh, counterparts in as as rigorously as we can. Now, in practice, no organization is static, and you you grow and sort of um, branch off new nodes at different times. And there are always fewer product managers and designers than there are, are engineers, and so it's always moving a little bit. And there are sometimes places where there's not a clear counterpart, but we basically. Treat those as like bugs to solve and or things to grow out of rather than the ideal state. So once you have that triad, then we work really hard to instill a sense of shared responsibility. And this is this is actually one of the more controversial things that I personally believe, because there is a very strong culture in a whole bunch of technology organizations of the directly responsible individual. There are many places where that actually does apply, and we use that concept in of shipping. But at the squad level, in the product delivery organization at the triad level we try to make the triad responsive so from the very beginning of an idea you have the engineer and the product manager and the designer in the room trying to make the decisions we try to make sure and, and we do that to make sure that everybody has as much context as possible about the problem we're trying to solve from the earliest research phase so you were sharing all your customer conversations you were sharing every bit of research you're doing you are the engineers in the room the designs are are, are being whiteboarded and debated and again, shortcut we do it does help that we are building a developer tool, but it is not necessary for that to be the case. Every time the, the squad presents or reports on their results or, or they they share, you know, they share, we try to make sure all three of those people are, are metaphorically standing in front of the, of the company or the leadership team saying, "Here's what we have done." And you know, my ideal for the functioning of that organization is that if the engineering manager is uh, you know sick for a week, then the product manager could step in and provide the direction that the team needs to keep them moving, running smoothly because they have enough context. Or if the product manager is out on customer calls for a week or at a conference or whatever, the engineering manager can make sure the right decisions are made so that the team can move forward because they have enough context. And you can never quite hit that ideal, but like we get as close as we possibly can. So that's the structural thing that we built into the team. And the good news is, you know, it just scales by adding more layers. So. We're adding this year, we're adding more uh, folks at the middle layer who have a triad responsible for multiple squads who are pushing all, you know, towards one goal. The other thing that we have done is really about the hiring and progression of the people on the team, particularly on the engineers. The two sort of philosophies I have here is that we look for as many, basically, product engineers as possible. There's this fantastic talk that uh, one of my former colleagues named Sharif gave about what is a product engineer. But it's but basically, it's a thing that is just product instinct, product sense, product gene, whatever you want to call it. But people who understand why we are building what we're building or even care to understand and try to find that out. And having, the more of those people you have on the team, doesn't have to be everybody, but the more of them you have on the team, the more likely that you are all going to end up pushing in the right direction. So we look for that when we interview and we also we try to highlight that in our career progressions. and and. In my first year, I had to build out a, a career ladder for engineering, actually really for all product delivery at launched directly. And it evolves all the time. But the foundational principle that I've tried to, I tried to build into that was that we measure people based on the impact they have on the product and the business. And that as you sort of move your way up in that ladder, we expect you to understand more of the why. We expect you to be able to lead. We expect you to be able to articulate... The value of why we're doing this thing, what customers actually want, and, and that's for everybody. It is not sufficient to be incredibly technically talented, but you know, just execute orders. We want you to actually understand why why we're doing a thing, and and honestly, to have opinions and challenge. Right, like you should know enough that if you think we're going in the wrong direction or wasting our time or building a thing in the wrong way, you should feel confident to stand up and say, "Hey, no, I don't want to." you know, throw my valuable talent after a bad idea, we should be doing X instead. And then work that out with your, with your triangle squat. So those are, those are two things that we try to build in to help this whole process work smoothly.
0: You touched upon something you said on your career progression ladder, you put a lot of emphasis on the impact on product and the business. Impact does not necessarily mean effort. Impact does not necessarily even always mean technical skill. How are you currently communicating this with the engineering org? What what are you using to define what impact really means? And and in practice, does this mean that, you know, a team that is placing a bet on, on building a product feature that might be, let's call it, Technically, less challenging than a team that's placing a bet on an internal-facing infrastructure feature it is finding themselves with very different impacts, and maybe one will be considered far more successful. And how do you how do you measure impact uh, is part of my question as well. When it's maybe easy when you build an application, but can be very challenging when your internal customer when your customer is an internal stakeholder.
1: Well, this does require quite a bit of discipline. Of us as leaders to have the right definition of impact and think broadly about it, it's really easy to fall into the trap of like what is visible is impactful and what is invisible is not impactful. But like that is that is a really damaging way to think about it. One of the things that we talk about a lot, and I guess one of the ways that you can see this manifest is that is going back to the thing I said earlier about delivery, is like we are running a service. And I, you know, I have been part of products in the past that had great features and great ideas and great design and great experience and no stability and they died so it is just as impactful to make sure that we are scaling that we are that we are healthy that we are available that we're able to handle the growth that's coming with us coming to us that we're investing in, in the platform and the architecture that's going to enable the rest of the team to be faster all of those things are I because one of the reasons that i kind of like this whole concept is that by saying look we value impact it forces everybody and every team to at least think about like, well, how do I articulate the impact of what I am trying to build? And as long as, you know, as long as we, we don't fall into the trap of thinking like visible versus invisible, invisible, the squad or the the individual or whoever can say like, I am working on this thing to accomplish this goal that would be beneficial. And so I can at least, you know, I can get one sense of why this is impactful. And if I can't do that, then that's a pretty good question. I should maybe be spending my time elsewhere.
0: That that makes a ton of sense. So, Jonathan. Throughout these four years, you've gone under an immense amount of growth, and and I can imagine quite a quite a bit more growth to come. Talk to us a little bit about the the challenges of scaling this philosophy and, and approach as you're growing.
1: Honestly, the the most difficult thing about this has been the transition from in person to remote work. It forced us to the first two years when we were when we were all in the office together. We were growing. At a healthy at a healthy pace, and we are bringing new people onto the team, and we were onboarding and acclimating them pretty well, and we were able to lead by example in many cases. And you could observe the way other people around you worked. You could observe the way other squads worked, and and um, you could pick things up that way. And through any company's life as you grow, eventually that breaks down, and you and and you gradually invest in more and more like rigor and process and documentation, all sorts of stuff. But when we suddenly all went home in March of 2020, it's like we had to leap forward a couple of years in in the way that we invest in the process. And it has taken us quite a while actually to catch up to that. But you know, we we are onboarding new VMs and new engineering leaders and new designers and new squads and trying to trying to teach them the way that we work and what our values are and and again why we do the things that we do. So we've ended up writing a lot more. We're starting to build build out more. Explicitly, like, training classes. We're trying to get more cross-disciplinary, cross-squad pollination, so that you can we can we can force people to like observe the way other squads are doing things and what's useful. We knew that like growing at this rate was you know, like you have to be very deliberate about it. You have to understand that you know if you're if you're doubling every year, the stuff that works today is not necessarily going to work tomorrow, and you have to be ready for that. And I, I say a lot that you know part of our job as leaders is to make a bunch of small changes over time so that we can avoid one huge disruptive change. And so we are still doing that, but it just, it it got a lot harder over the last couple of years.
2: Something I'll add to that. I've only worked in mostly distributed organizations. Uh, So when COVID hit, you know, GitHub didn't really have to adapt that much. We did have to adapt some things. But one of the principal tenants that I look for in growing and scaling organizations is who, like individual leaderships can you bet on? And that is something that I don't think is distinct from in-person or remote, but is much more important, I think, in remote in many cases, and also going back to the EPD comment about the triad. I still think individuals do matter because individuals can make a difference. And when you're scaling, it is critically important to know that you have someone who is top tier pro on their game, but or or versus an up and comer who you want to make a bet on, but understanding how you're going to engage with them differently. And my flip side on the EPD answer, which you gave earlier, which was, hey, we want to treat them as a triad. I definitely agree with that. And I think that's the right approach. And whenever you know if they're standing in front of an audience, you want them to be out there together. And when they're presenting product work, you want them to be together, all that sort of stuff. I typically have found that no matter how much I want to treat them as a triad from an operational perspective, there's always one who tends to take the reins more. Yeah. And it doesn't matter to me where they come from, E, the P, or the D, but typically somebody is organizing the work a little bit more than the other people.
1: I, I have observed exactly the same thing. One of the things that as we've been building more triads over the last couple of years, I've realized that like, not only do you need a mix of skills, you also need a, the right mix of personalities. Yes. But the thing that I'm the thing that i trying to hold to in all that is just as you said, the quote unquote, most active leader, it doesn't always come from a single discipline. It is the person with the right personality, the person who has the drive. And it could it could be a designer or a product manager or an engineer. I don't care just as long as there's someone doing it.
2: Yep. I 100% agree. I think that the personality meshes are important, but Jonathan, if you've been a listener, you know how much I like to use sports metaphors. But again, I don't care at the end of the day how certain things happen in sports, but what you care is that you win or on the play you're disciplined or on the series you execute appropriately. And then, you know, the outcome wins. That's kind of the outcome. Again, you don't care if it's the quarterback per se that X, Ys, and Zs in the huddle and whatnot. You maybe prefer it from a traditional other perspective. But at the end of the day, you just want leader to step up and that you win the Super Bowl. Absolutely.
0: I want to maybe throw a curveball here. Triads leveled up on triads, right? Like you're saying, you naturally have within these triads, people being the, the more leader type personality in the group. But I can imagine that when you have Triads stacked on top of triads. What do your reporting lines look like? Are you finding yourself with, even at your skill already, conflicting groups or triads where there ends up being politics for leadership? If you have two people who are both equally ambitious, when you have them all reporting into another triad, I I can just imagine what used to be a one-on-one meeting is now a three-on-three is a six-person meeting. Are there any challenges or, or hidden costs to this that maybe are worth discussing?
1: One point of clarification first is that we, you know, within the product delivery, we still have traditional reporting lines. A product manager reports to a senior product, or you know, someone up the chain. Eventually, reports to me. You have a manager relationship. You have traditional one-on-ones. That's all. That's all fine. Um, the thing that you share are goals, goals and outcomes. Right. The principle that I come back to here is that uh, there is only one bucket of time, and so you cannot have a set of engineering goals that is distinct from a set of product goals because you're you're using the same resources in the same time they have to be prioritized against each other and, and so by basically making that explicit and saying like okay as a triad you're you are gonna you're gonna give us one set of goals, one set of targets, one set of you know one roadmap and it has to encompass everything that you're required to balance. It has to balance service health, it has to balance feature progress, it has to balance user experience, it has to balance bug fixing, it has to balance all of the things necessary to make your part of the business successful. And we trust you as the people closest to that problem to be able to make those trade offs better than we can. Your success is the team success. In fact, that like that's one of our one of our product delivery values that we wrote several years ago. It is called invest in the team. We succeed or fail together, and so we we try to hit that at, at every level. And then I've been incredibly blessed both at Atlassian and here at LaunchDarkly to have worked in, in what I would describe as very non political places. We have worked really hard to not let that infiltrate the culture. Working transparently and openly and collaborating openly, I think has helped us do that. But we've been able to, I think, keep all that to a relative minimum to the point where, you know, people are just focused on the success of the product, the the needs of the customer, and ultimately driving, you know, driving my strategy to a, a really great outcome.
2: A meta comment I'll make here is that organization, you know, hierarchies, organizational charts, just get super complicated really quickly. And it's difficult to organize yourselves in any sort of way that, like feels very 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 good long term. One of the comments Jonathan made earlier which was small changes because big changes can be disruptive. Very much agree with. You should constantly be tinkering with things just because, you know, small changes are way less disruptive. But there's always at some point becomes a question about a reorg and how do we organize product engineering and design together, separately, independent of each other? No really good answers here for what it's worth context incredibly matters about where the product is, where your service health is, where your infrastructure looks like, what your delivery mechanisms look like. Like A lot of context matters. But one of the things that I do first think about is how do I have to to structure engineering? And I know people are going to say I'm biased because I'm an engineering leader. That's where I grew up. But no, it's actually because it's the largest organization with the most people. And I have to figure out how they are structured semi-loosely And then I'm going to go and understand a little bit more about my product and design organization. I'm not going to adhere hundred percent to like what I have inside of engineering as a, as a mechanism, but I do have to have a view on what engineering looks like before I can go to the other ones. And I also have to understand priorities. Now, the flip side of this, I will say that I've seen product organizations who are organized very differently than their engineering organizations. So much so that there's, it's very difficult to understand the two and how they could work together. And product leaders don't fully understand what I'm about to say, but engineering leaders are shaking their head vigorously right now. If <laughs> there is no alignment between engineering and product, they don't understand how they can deliver. Those are the worst performing organizations that I've ever seen in my life.
1: Yeah, I could not agree more. When I think about how we we organize ourselves and how we evolve, and it's very much evolution because you know the, the structure we have today is definitely not going to work next year. So we need to be ready for that. But I try to think about Two things. One is autonomy. So how can I, you know, sort of divide the team so that they can make decisions and move quickly and be as unencumbered by their teams as possible? And the other one is can I can I clearly articulate a goal, a mission, a an outcome for that team? And so like autonomy obviously it includes the a technical dimension, right? Like You know what? What code is Team A going to work on versus Team B, and how often do they overlap, and what services do they own together, and can you avoid that? So, like, you do have to you do get to think about that a little bit. But I would caution to not let the technology or the software drive your organizational design as a first principle.
2: I so adamantly agree with you here that it's it's rather amusing. But I would say this. What I look for is dependency management. Does X team depend on another team to be able to control delivery? And does you know Y team depend upon Z team and Z team, et cetera, et cetera? You, you start to understand that there's a lot of dependency management now in place. And the other is who talks to the customer at the end of the day? Does, does A proxy through B, who proxies through C to get the customer information? And I mean this on the engineering side. Do they have direct visibility and line of sight to customer delivery? I really want people to have those sorts of agency moments where they can be delivering discrete, independent product lines if possible. My one example of this is I remember one time joining an organization and I saw that there were many, many, many small, highly high agency teams that had component ownership essentially, but there were two or three people. But... Nobody could deliver anything to production without being a dependency map that required at least three or four other teams because those components don't work independent of each other. They have to work in sync with a bunch of the other components mm-hmm. in the subsystem. So all I did at that point was draw a circle around those five teams and said, great, you're one team for, for the purposes of me. I need one roadmap. I need one whatever. Everyone on that team got a little annoyed with me in the very beginning <laughs> of that. And then about five <laughs> months later, everyone's like, oh, okay, this makes a lot more sense all of a sudden. You know, like I see yep. this now from a delivery perspective. Yes, we still own the components inside of it, but they
0: have to work in conjunction. One roadmap forces this. Mm-hmm.
1: Only one bucket at a time.
0: can not agree more. Jonathan, I love that today you you introduced us to, but I do think you might've coined the term the, the product delivery org and, and introduced some fantastic concepts for people to dig into like the T-shaped person. Is there anything else that, you'd love to leave the listener's with as kind of parting wisdom on today's topics?
1: I I guess I would say don't underestimate the uh, ability of the engineers on your team to think broadly, to understand the context, to get the business, to have good opinions and know how to apply their own talents and their own time in the best way. If you have a, a structure that is not set up to take advantage of that, You're just wasting a lot of valuable energy and momentum that you could get. So think about how you can take those people, start with the people who already have strong opinions and have good product sense and empower them to move your whole team forward more quickly.
0: Couldn't agree more. I see Jason nodding his head as well on this. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. And I hope we get to have you back in the future and dig into more topics. This was fantastic. Jonathan, yeah. it was awesome. Thanks for coming.
1: Thank you guys so much. It was a fantastic conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to Developing Leadership. Make sure you subscribe to follow us on our journey towards more meaningful engineering leadership. If you have any challenges or topics you would like us to explore in an upcoming episode, go to developingleadership.co to submit them. To learn more about data-enabled engineering and how metrics can help your teams and improve your processes, go to athenian.co. See you in two
1: weeks for another episode of Developing Leadership.